Hey guys, welcome to our online campus. Whether you're joining us through YouTube or our podcast, we're really glad that you're here today. Let's tune into today's message here at Higher Vision. Enjoy. So glad that you are with us. We're going to dive into the series Shift. This is week four of a four-part series where how do we stand true to God's Word? How do we keep our foundation secure when everything is shifting around us? But before we do that, I want to start with something funny. I heard this story about this um, middle-aged woman who um, had to go in for surgery for a heart issue. She ended up dying on the table, and she sees a light and sees God. And she asks God, God, is this it? God says, no, this isn't it. You have 40 more years to live. Well, the light disappears. She comes back to life. The surgery goes well. And when she wakes up, she says, you know what? I want to stay in the hospital and have some things done. So she ends up having a a facelift. She has a tummy tuck. She has a complete makeover. Two months later, after she's recovered from all of her surgery, she gets up, leaves the hospital, and gets hit by a car and dies. She gets to heaven. She said, God, I thought I had 40 more years to live. He says, yes, you did. I'm sorry. I I didn't recognize you. Um, So we all have our appointed time. Hey, let's stand to our feet. (laughs) Having some fun this morning. We're going to go to the passage in in Matthew chapter 7. We've read this for three weeks. This is week number four. It tells us one important principle of how we stand while everything is shifting. Let's read together out loud. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. That passage tells us that when things shift, If we built our life on Jesus, Christ, the Word, Jesus is the Word. He became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. If we build our lives on the Word, on the Bible, on Jesus, we're not going to shift. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you today to speak in this room and in in homes around the world and in our campuses. Lord, speak to us and teach us how we can stand strong when culture is shifting away. In Jesus' name, somebody shout. Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you. We've talked about how do we stand strong. We've learned several things. We've learned that culture wants to to do things. It has an agenda. It wants to change our identity. We've learned all of that in week one. We learned about the Babylon mentality. We've used the book of Daniel as we look through this book to discover how that culture will shift away from God. Last week, we learned about standing firm. But we discovered that when we're standing firm, our our faith will be tested. And the question is, what are you going to do when your faith is tested? The the challenge is we tend up in being at two different extremes. One extreme, oh wow, my alarm just went off. I, I guess I better wake up and go to church now. Amen. My house, I have to tell you, is an annoying place at times because all of my kids set these kind of um, ringers and, and set alarms all day long to remind them of things. So imagine with six people in a house, that happening all day long. 
pray for me. Hallelujah. Okay. So there's two extremes. One extreme is we can respond when our faith is tested by being the angry Christian. And we point the finger at people and tell them how wrong they are. How many know that you can be right but not helpful? And we learned that a few weeks ago. But the other side is to become the appeasing Christian. And the appeasing Christian, basically what they do is they, they're tempted to change out parts of the Bible so that they don't offend anyone. And so how do we stand strong? How do we find that middle ground? Where we stand on the truths of God's word, but yet we love. Jesus did a, had a way of doing that. He showed us that he was a, a God of grace, but he was also a God of truth. And today I want to talk to you about loving others. We learned last week about standing firm. But the middle ground is learning how to have the ability to hold on and stand at the same time to love. Everybody say love. So what I want to do is I want to just talk for a minute about love before we dive into the book of Daniel today. Today we're going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den. We're going to learn some principles from that story. But let's first talk about love. In fact, let me show you a great passage in the Bible. It's a, one of my favorites. Galatians chapter 5 or 6 says this. It says, the only thing that counts... Let me stop there. How many would say if the Bible says that, we should perk up our ears, sit up, and pay attention? The only thing that counts is... What's the word? faith. So we would say, yeah, of course, faith. You have to have faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But look what it says. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? In other words, our faith should be expressed with love. Love is the important ingredient here. Let's go on to another verse where Paul talks about this idea, and he says, let love be your highest goal. Love is the primary thing. God is love. So how is that expressed? How do we express love through our faith, right? Well, today I want to talk to you about that, especially when it comes to culture. Now, the context of that passage we read a moment ago that love should be our highest goal, it actually, it, it's the ending of a discussion where Paul talks about what love is. Have you ever heard the song, I want to know what love is? Well, listen, if you want to know what love is, you need to open the Bible, not turn on the radio, right? Come on. Come on, that's good preaching. Somebody say amen. So Paul begins to talk about what love is. In fact, the verses I'm going to read to you are verses you've probably heard at a wedding or you've heard when it talks about love. It's the love chapter of the Bible. We end the love chapter of the Bible talking about love is the highest goal as you start the next chapter in chapter 14, which the Bible didn't have chapter and verse when it was written. So literally, this is just one big context. And look what it says about love. This is what we need to understand. 1 Corinthians says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, let me say it this way. All I say is ineffective if I don't love others. In other words, love isn't about what you say. Now, in our world, we, we think of love and we think about what you say. When you see someone, right, it's like, I love you. Come on, right? Come on, I've ever heard kids, younger kids, you know, that are still in their teens and their boyfriend and girlfriend and parents that have been married, you know, and you hear them say, I love you, I love you too. How many of you are like sitting back going? <laughs> because you know that they don't know what love is. Come on, get married and stay married for 26 years. You'll know what love is. Come on, somebody, say amen. 
And you know the reality, yeah, preach it, amen. <laughs> we throw that word around, love. We say it. But all I say is ineffective if I just say it, not do it. The reality is, is we say it. Now, we att- attach it to things. Uh, we say like things like this, and this is appropriate, but I love peach shakes from Chick-fil-A. Come on, has anybody had a peach shake from Chick-fil-A? Let me ask this question. How many of you have never had a, a peach shake from Chick-fil-A? Shame on you. <laughs> I'm telling you, you need to go get one because I believe they're serving them in heaven, so you need to get ready for eternity. They are life-changing, not on the level of Jesus, but really close. How many know that you can say, I love a peach shake, or, or I love the Lakers, or I love donuts, but how many know that that's not really what the word means? We throw the word around. In fact, how many of you, when you were growing up, you heard your parents start getting lovey-dovey, and what would you say? Ew. Or you would do this. La, 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 la. How many know what I'm talking about? Can I stop and say what this passage is telling us is if we're Christians and we're going to affect our culture, if we just say, I love you, but it's not acted out in certain ways, the world basically hears a clanging gong, a sounding cymbal, and what they're doing is going, la, 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 because all I say is ineffective if I don't love. Y'all with me, say amen. You see, you can be smart, you can be eloquent, you can have a great argument, but I don't want to hear what you have to say if you don't love. Love is the main goal. Another part of the verse, if you keep reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, goes on to say, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. In other words, the second one is, all I know is insignificant if I don't love. You see, the reality is we're talking about love. The the thing is, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And a lot of times when it comes to the church, we're struggling with having a voice We're struggling with influence in a shifting culture. And the reason we're struggling with influence is not because we don't know the Bible. It's because we're not living love. Love is a verb. An old school song went, love, love, love is a verb. Come on, anybody remember that song? Some of you have no idea what that song is. You didn't miss much. Love is a verb. In fact, let me show you what love really is. If you go a a couple verses later, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor others. It does not dishonor others. I just feel prompted to read that again. So in other words, if you're a Christian and you're to love, if you're dishonoring others and your posts and the things you say on the job and the rolling of your eyes, love isn't what we say, it's what we do. Love isn't what we know, It's what we do because love, love, love is verb. (laughs) 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. We talked about the Babylon mentality that becomes all about us and brings confusion, right? It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Some of you are getting angry that I read that again. It keeps no record of wrong. Wow. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love isn't about what we say. Love isn't about what we know. Love is about what we do. And so what I want to do today, if we're going to be Christians who are people of love, then what I want to do is I want to take the story of Daniel and I want to show you a man who I believe loved well. He stood firm, but he loved well. And I believe as we look through this, you're going to see how you and I can have a verb of love, live out love. And it's going to be in ways that you probably wouldn't think. And so I want you to get your heart ready. We're going to talk about Daniel and how Daniel loved well. This is the story where Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because they, were, they came up with a law saying you can't pray to any other god but the king. And he decided to pray to his god and they threw him in a den, a den full of lions. So I'm going to give you the first way that you and I can learn how to find the middle ground and stand firm but yet love well. You all with me? Say amen. Here's the first way, right down this point, and that is if we're going to love well, number one, you need to serve your culture. You need to serve your culture. Let's look at it in the story, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede, let me stop there, that's the new king of Israel, and not Israel, of Babylon. It was Nebuchadnezzar, we learned about that with the fiery furnace last week, but look at there's a new king in town. His name is Darius the Mede, and Darius the Mede, the, um, the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into pro 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officials. Now, this is a great verse on leadership. You should write it down and, and go back to it. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. What I love about this, first of all, the first point is this, is notice that Darius is now the king, not Nebuchadnezzar. Why is that important? Because here's the cool thing. You see, if you're a person who is a person of love, if you're a person of integrity, if you're a person who serves your community, here's the cool thing. It doesn't matter who's in charge. You can have influence whether this person's president or that person's president, whether this person is your boss or that person is your boss. No matter where you are in culture, no matter where God has put you, no matter who's in charge, when you and I are people of love, we still can have influence. Come on, that's a good word. Come on, amen. And watch what it says. It says that he proved himself. He used his abilities. He capitalized on what he'd been given. The point I want to make is simply this, is that, that he served where he was placed. He used the gifts and talents he had. Listen, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most handsome or the most beautiful. You don't have to have the most, the most education. What you have to do is take what you've given and use it and use it well. And serve where you've been placed. Because I'm here to tell you, like Daniel, if you'll serve wherever God has placed you, 
if you'll use what he's given you to your best ability, here's what happens. God will use you to influence culture. In fact, can I show you the same idea from Paul? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, in other words, I have the right to do whatever I want. I don't have to do anything. I can go home and I can watch golf or I can watch football. I can do whatever I want. He says, but even though I'm free and I can do whatever I want and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. In other words, I've made myself a servant. I've chose to serve. Now watch what he says. To win as many as possible. You know, there was a book out and it was called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm sure there's all great you know, principles in there of how to do it, but can I tell you the best way? You gotta serve somebody. Because the thing that'll open the doors of influence for you is not your resume, it's not what you have on Instagram, it's not whether you got a new hairdo or you're looking fly, it's none of that, it's are you serving somebody? Because if you'll serve somebody, like Daniel served in his generation, Daniel served in his culture, what happens? Because he had a heart to serve, God gave him an influence. Here's my question. Where are you serving in culture? Where are you serving? You know, you can serve on a school board. You can serve on a soccer field. How about this one? You can serve by offering to be the carpool for the crazy kids next door. You're like, no, 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 not those kids. The ones around the corner. We have people in our church that have made that decision. There's a lady in our church who has a passion to serve, and she's got a law degree, and she, but she's always willing to step up and help somebody, always willing to serve somewhere. She goes into unique situations. You know what's interesting? Now God has taken this individual, opened up doors where they're meeting with influential people all over the world. Here's the thing. The Bible says if we're faithful with now, we'll be Lord. If we're faithful with little, we'll be Lord over much. The problem is none of us get to much because we're not faithful with little. You'll never get to your next if you're not faithful in your now. And in this passage, what we discover is that he was faithful in his culture to serve. I promise you, your voice will be the loudest when you serve the most. So where are you serving your culture? You know, it was exciting this week. Yesterday... um, I actually was out on the golf course with my brother, my younger brother, Brian. We went over there, his, his uh, wife, my sister-in-law had her birthday, and so um, we were doing a party and stuff. And the next morning, we got up and we went to play golf. And um, on the golf course, on the third hole, my phone rings, and it's my son, Tanner. And he's FaceTiming me, and I picked up the phone. I'm like, hey, son, how's it going? And he's, he's like jumping up and down, and he's crying at the same time. I'm like, what's going on? What happened? He said, Dad, we did it, we did it. And I looked and he was on the west, on the east coast, standing in the ocean with three of his buddies, having ridden their bicycles 3,200 miles from the west coast all the way to the east coast. And he broke down and he started crying. He said, Dad, thank you for believing in us. He said, people kept telling us we couldn't do it. Dad, we did it. 
we did it. We're making a difference. And if you don't know that the four young men from our church have ridden their bicycles from the, east, from the west coast all the way to the east coast, all the way across the country on bicycles, and they're doing it to raise awareness for sex trafficking, to, to try to stop sex trafficking around the world and raise money to help um, young women get set free in Cambodia. In fact, let me just throw this out there. On Saturday next week, guys, if you'll pull that up, Saturday of next week, if you'll go to TBN and look for the Mike Huckabee Show at 8, 7 central time, um, they're going to be interviewing Tanner and the three guys that are with him. They're going to show them riding into the studio. They're going to put them on set. He does a segment called Huck's Heroes, and he's going to talk about how these heroes decided to serve their community, serve their culture by doing what they could do, take the gifts and talents they had. They didn't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of education, but they had legs and they had youth and they had passion and they took what they did to say, we're going to serve somebody. And he's going to encourage his 5 million viewers to support and give money so that they can set people free from sex trafficking. So if you want to watch it, it's on Saturday and it's on Sunday. You can find it on TBN. It's on other networks as well, The Mike Huckabee Show. Here's my point. As we were in Chicago a couple weeks ago, we had flown in there to spend a couple days with them, and I got to ride with them on one of those days. We were in the car, and an Uber was taking us to get our, our uh, rental car. And the man looked at me and he said, hey, he's going to drive me. He said, what are you guys doing out here? And so I started telling him, well, my son and some three amazing boys, Anthony and Andre and Justin, they're riding across the country trying to set people free from sex trafficking. They're raising money and awareness. And, and man, this guy got all excited. He said, well, where are they? How do I find out? And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call radio stations. I'm going to email my friends. I'm going to post it on my Facebook. And he started spreading the word and the awareness. Why? Because when you serve, God will open doors. And I want to tell you something. You don't have to have the most knowledge. You don't have to have the most money. You just have to say, I'll take what I've been given. And instead of being free, I'm going to make myself a slave. I'm going to make myself a servant. Serve your culture. Somebody say amen. You ready for the second one? Here's the second one. I got to keep moving. Second one is set an example in your culture. So serve your culture and set an example in your culture. Let's look at the story and let's figure out how that happened. What happens is when, when Daniel um, and the, the people that are around Daniel realize that Daniel is the favorite of the king and he's probably going to get promoted, they get jealous. How many know, I still get jealous. How many here have ever gotten jealous? Jealous. They got jealous of Daniel. They got jealous. And so what do they do? They come up with, a, they hatch a plan to take him down. And they say, King, here's how it's going to be. Listen, you need to establish a law that people can only pray to you. Okay? But let me tell you how, how that came about. So then the other administrators and high officials and officers be began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Can I just tell you, I wouldn't mind having that on my tombstone one day. How about you? How about that be our testimony? They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Let's keep going. Why? Because he was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. 
So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be connecting or in connection with the rules of his religion. You see, the bottom line was, as they took a look at his life, he had set an example. He wasn't negligent. He didn't talk about people. He didn't show up to late work or to work late. He wasn't lazy. He was faithful. He was loyal. He worked hard. And sometimes you and I look back and we say, well, listen, if God's going to use me to make a difference, you know, I, I don't know the Bible. I can't preach like Pastor Jared. I'm not prophetic like Pastor James. I, I don't know how to play an instrument like those worship leaders. Listen, your greatest influence is not playing a guitar. It's showing up to work on time. Come on, somebody say amen. In other words, it's demonstrating integrity and character and setting an example in how you live, how you relate to others, and how you work, and how neighborly you are, in the things you do, and what you do with your money. Set the example. I know some of you say, well, Pastor Jared, the problem is, you know, I'm, I'm like a new Christian. And like, I'm not like super spiritual or anything. Some are like, why are you trying to talk like kind of Australian accent? I mean, it's not even close. It's kind of like weird. I don't know. It just came out. It was like the... Holy Spirit was light leading. And what we do is we start coming up with excuses, right? Did I just do it again? <laughs> we got a switch here. And so we start making excuses, right? And our excuses are, well, you know, I don't... Do a different accent to get away from the other I'm not super spiritual like you guys. That's better than from the South. How about I just be myself? That's just be myself. I'm not super spiritual. I can't, you know, I, I'm not a super Christian. I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And so what we do is we disqualify ourselves because we think that God using us has something to do with how righteous we are. When realizing the truth of the matter is, is that the way he'll use you is not by just being Mr. Super Spiritual or Mr. Super Righteous. It's setting an example of how you work, of how you relate to people, of being loyal, of being faithful, of being a friend. That's why the Bible says that we're to be salt and light. And when it says that you're to have an influence in your, your world, you're to be light in the midst of darkness, you're to be salt in a tasteless world. And then it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, it says in the same way, let your good deeds outshine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In other words, the greatest way for people to become worshipers of God is not just for you to preach some message, right? Or, or not to get a theological degree, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's for you to just set the example and be a good person, be a hard worker, be a person of integrity, honor your word, honor other people, do the right thing, stand for right principles, stand on the word of God. You see, we gotta serve our community and we gotta set the example in our community. Come on, that's good preaching. Somebody say amen. Well, let's, let's make it more modern. So good. So good. That's the new one. It used to be amen, and it was preach, and now it's like with all the younger generations. So good. So good. That's, that's the new one, if you don't know. You can use that. 
I did that to my wife the other day. I'm like, I'm gonna, she'd made this incredible meal. I cooked some steaks. She'd made the rest of it, and we came and sat down, and we sit down, and I'm like, so good! She's like, you're weird. Okay. So let's keep reading with Daniel. Watch what it says in Daniel. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, they'd come up with this way to get him, and it was only through his faith, his religious beliefs, because they couldn't point and criticize anything else, because he was being an example. What does he do? He went home, and he turned on the oxygen network. Not really. That's not what it says. He went home, and he turned on the NFL. No, no, no. He didn't do that either. He went home, and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, and with its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. It's how he lived. He set the example. I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to, even if it goes against culture, and in this situation, against the law, I'm going to do the right thing. Giving thanks to his God. Now watch, the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. They set him up because they knew that's where he'd be. I wonder what people would say where we would be. What's our pattern? Just food for thought. Okay, let's keep on. Notice he didn't argue. He didn't get in a, in, a, in a lawsuit. He didn't go with the king and try to get the king to change his mind. He didn't antagonize. He just kept setting an example. Because here's the, here's the point. You can't antagonize and influence at the same time. So good. Come on, somebody say amen. And it's unfortunate that a lot of Christians are limiting their voice as culture shifts because they think if they can be loud and they can antagonize, if they can prove their point, what they don't realize is if we'll serve and we'll set the example, God will give us influence. Come on, somebody say amen. Why? Because it's all about love. I want to give you point number three. How do we stand in the middle? How do we love well, stand firm and love well? Thirdly, we share Christ with our culture. Share Christ with our culture. So let's go on to the story. Now, what happens is they come up with this law that if you pray to another God, you're going to be thrown into a den full of hungry lions. And what happens is the king is sad because he realizes that they've tricked him and tricked Daniel, but he can't change the law. So he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. So he, he tells Daniel, Daniel, you know, I'm going to have to throw you in. I wish I didn't have to do this. And so he throws him in a den of lions. He puts something over the, the, the mouth of the cave, and he can't sleep. He doesn't eat. He fasts that night. 24 hours later, he comes back, and watch what he, he does. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish. In other words, he just couldn't believe what had happened, and so he just kind of cries out, probably not even thinking Daniel's really there, but he just, he does it anyway, and he cries out, and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Oh, man, how I love that. What's connected to your name? Daniel, the guy who's kind of cocky. That's some of our names. 
Daniel, the one that really loves sports but never spends time with their family. Everybody say, ouch, that one hurt. That was, oh, Some of you are like, is this the lion's den? It feels like the lion's den. What's attached to your name? I love what's attached to his name, service and an example. Daniel, servant of God. That's what he calls him. And then look what he goes on to say. He yells it out. He goes, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, man, look at that, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, shocks everybody there, coming through the walls. Yo! King, it's me, Daniel. Long live the king. How awesome is that? And then he goes, my God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions so they wouldn't even hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and have not wronged you, your majesty. Then the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Somebody say amen. Man, you could put a period right there and end the sermon. That's not where the story ends. What ends up happening is the king realizes he'd been tricked, he'd been fooled. And so you know what he does? He goes and he gets the people that had tricked him. He grabs them, arrests them, grabs their families, opens up the cave and throws them into the lion's den. And the Bible says that the lions were so hungry that their bodies didn't even hit the ground before the lions were tearing them to pieces. Some of you are like, thank you for that beautiful image in church, Pastor Joe. I just love the way that you share the word. Come on, think about it for a minute. The, the, the lions were so hungry, they didn't even make it to the floor, and they ravaged these other people. But yet, here we have Daniel. Daniel is in there, and he's like, hey, come on over here, Simba. Hey, Mufasa. I mean, think about it. It was awesome. I wish I'd had a camera in there. The king is like, look, look, he's frolicking with the lions. I just said frolicking in church. That's pretty cool. Um, Man, I got to tell you, it's so crazy is that the, the best part of the story, I think, in the end is this, is that when it came time for him to influence his culture, he didn't have to say it, they asked him for it. And I think the big message here is that when you and I find the middle ground through serving, and through being an example, you won't have to push some agenda. You won't have to push some idea. People will say, hey, hey, what? How, how come you didn't die in the lion's den? How come you have hope when everybody feels so hopeless? How come you have peace and yet you're going through this trial? How come you have peace? Hey, hey, how come you're still standing and my family is crumbling all around me? How come, man, you give to church all the time and I make more money than you do, but yet you seem to be fulfilled and happy and have what you need? How, how, how come? Daniel, are you, are you there? Did your God 
see, they ask. It reminds me of this verse. Can I share this verse with you, First Peter? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. It's almost like right there we found the middle. How do we live and stand and love? We serve, we set the example, and watch how God will bring them to you. People will ask you. People want to know what do you think. People will say, well, why do you believe what you believe? In fact, it's almost as like as if you just wait for the time to talk, share your testimony. I had a friend that did that with me in high school. I, I wasn't preachy with my faith, but there's this one kid that I became friends with. We would hang out, and I remember one day we were, actually we had, okay, I think all the kids need to close their ears for a minute. We'd snuck out of school early, and um, I'll repent at the end of service, so just hang in there with me. And we went back to his house, and his dad had had these steaks, and we barbecued steaks, and I don't even know what we were doing. It was a stupid thing. We made steaks, and, and we're eating food, and just hanging out, and, he, and when, in, in the middle of this conversation, he looks at me, and he's like, Jared, you know, that whole Christian thing, what, why do you believe that? He came to me. I'm going to tell you, God will open doors for you. People will come and ask your advice. If you can find the middle ground, God will use you. That's why it says in Ephesians, it says, instead we speak the truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ. Could it be if we could find this word, if we could live this word, and we could connect it to this word, maybe we'd be like Jesus. That's why Frank, uh, St. Francis of Assisi says, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I want you to close your eyes.